0: Hi everybody, welcome back to 20 Minute Pods. I'm so glad to have you. If you haven't already, subscribe and support so that you can always be notified of new episodes. And I, I love making them, and I especially enjoyed this one. So, last week we talked about the four disciples of the, the last four disciples of the 12 and the one who replaces Judas Iscariot after the ascension of Jesus. Whose name was Matthias. There are a lot of great details in that podcast, and normally I would summarize them right now, but today's disciple is very important, so I don't want to waste any time. We are going to talk about the beloved disciple, who may be the most important disciple and writer of the Christian faith, aside from Paul. Originally, I argued that the Apostle John and John the Elder were the two candidates for the beloved disciple's identity, preferring the Elder over the Apostle. And I still hold to that. However, after reading Dean Furlong's dissertation on the identity of John the Evangelist, I have become convinced the apostle died off early and could not have written the gospel, the three letters of John, or Revelation, meaning that the elder was responsible for all of them. Furlong goes through all the early sources that speak to John's identity and finds that they often used the term apostle to denote many followers of Christ and did not restrain it to the Twelve, which led to confusion in the accounts between John the Apostle and another John known as the Elder. Most of the early accounts speak of the actual Apostle as if he had been executed early, but show the Elder to have remained alive in Ephesus. There is more to his analysis, so I encourage you all to go read it, but that is a primary piece of evidence that has convinced me of the unlikelihood that the the Apostle was responsible for any of the letters. However, there is internal evidence as well to suggest that the apostle is not the beloved disciple. First, the gospel is uh, a detailed gospel and specifically highlights seven of the twelve apostles. The beloved disciple is nowhere among the seven highlighted, yet John the apostle is, which is odd if they were one and the same person. Since there is specific naming going on, there should at least be a tagline or something similar to Thomas, the one called the twin, that would aid in giving an early, a clearer identity. But John does not have such a tagline. So the beloved disciple remains anonymous, and when he, goes, when he does appear, he is simply referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. While John, son of Zebedee, is consistently referenced by name and often alongside his brother James. Second, the beloved disciple's character does not align with what we know of John the Apostle in the Synoptic Gospels. As we saw with the brother Zebedee, they had a fiery zeal that was redirected by Christ in order to make it more loving and open toward bringing others into the kingdom. But that zeal did not go away. When one reads John's gospel, one gets a profound knowledge of the truth of Christ, which would be expected from someone who was an intimate friend of his, but one does not get the sense of a fiery zeal. To the contrary, the letters seem stern but gentle, and each time the beloved disciple appears, he is depicted as gentle, either clinging to the Lord or to the Lord's mother during the crucifixion. It is unlikely that John, son of Zebedee, would have depicted himself this way since he had to come to grips with his character and be humbled by Christ so that he was no longer overzealous to the point of desiring to kill those who opposed Jesus and his message. Last but not least, the beloved disciple is mentioned to have affiliations with the high priest, which would be unheard of for fishermen like John and James in Jewish society since men of trade were seen as lesser and sinners by the religious leaders. It is unclear why the religious leaders perceived them this way. Perhaps it was because they were often the least connected to the laws of God, or because they easily, uh, they, or because they uh, were, e- because they were wealthy, the, bro- the brothers, and were viewed as greedy. Sorry. Whatever the case, the religious leaders, the high priests especially, would not have associated with them. However, Richard Bauckham has done a long study in an article in his The Beloved Disciple that shows there was a man named John who lived in Jerusalem around the time of Jesus who did have affiliations with the high priest and shows similar details to the beloved disciple which may make them one in the same person. He then argues that this person is John the Elder, It is a convincing argument, and I recommend you all get the chance to check it out, but the point is that John the Apostle did not fit the bill. That being said, regardless of who the beloved disciple is, he is a crucial character because his testimony as the writer of the letter who was intimate with Jesus and the specific details he uses mean that his letter is probably the most trustworthy of all the gospel accounts. Furthermore, The moments that we see him with Jesus give us the opportunity to observe the heart of the Lord to a deeper and more profound extent. The beloved disciple starts to be mentioned from chapter 13 on, which has led some to surmise that he is Lazarus, who is concealing his identity because there are those out to kill him in order to suppress knowledge of the miracle that Jesus performed by bringing Lazarus out of the tomb. Also, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are described as intimate friends of Jesus. But if this is the case, Lazarus shouldn't be named in the letter at all so that the conspirators could never find him. The fact that he is named and connected with Mary and Martha make this scenario seriously unlikely. However, the first appearance of the beloved disciple in chapter 13 does reveal a great deal. Jesus mentions to the disciples that one of them would betray him, and Peter is desperate to know who. But instead of asking Jesus directly, he looks to the beloved disciple who is reclining on Jesus' bosom and asks him, alluding to the fact that he has been an intimate friend of Jesus. Also, Jesus' own affections for him are explicitly made known, meaning that this was a special person to the Lord. Did that mean that Jesus did not love the others? No, he did. But he was fully human and fully God, which means that he experienced love to different levels based on relational knowledge in human terms, indicating that the beloved disciple was like a brother, while the others were like friends, at least as the gospel portrays them. In the end, they all would become brothers of Christ and sons of God, but the beloved disciple is first to reach this point because he at some time prior became a devoted, intimate friend of Jesus. Unlike the other disciples, the beloved disciple is the only one to approach the cross instead of running away out of fear. It is possible that he used his affiliation with the high priest to get him close, which made death less of a possibility for him, but the point is he did not run. He went to be with the Lord in his hour, just as the Lord had been with them and taken care of them. Most are familiar with the exchange in chapter 19. Jesus looks down to see his mother, his mother's sister, Mary Magdalene, and the beloved disciple in the crowd at the foot of the cross. The women were able to get close because they were considered less of a threat in the culture at that time, which is unfortunate. Jesus was actually one of the only ones during his day that went out of his way to lift women up as strong figures of faith and action, but most others did not share his sentiment. In fact, a woman without a husband or a son was practically nothing in the culture, which is why Jesus entrusted his mother into the care of the beloved disciple. If he had run like the others, he would, he would not have been there to care for Mary, nor would he have witnessed the blood and water come out of Jesus' side to fulfill Jesus' own words that his blood and body would be the salvation for all. See John 6. Symbolically, all three, body, blood, and water, represented reliance on Christ as God's Son, resembling Spirit, and baptism, which is the water. See John 3. He is also one of the only two disciples to witness the empty tomb. Mary finds the stone rolled away and comes to Peter and the beloved disciple, terrified because she fears that someone stole the body. When Peter and the beloved disciple go to check the tomb, Peter is the first to go in and see the cloth coverings lying on the ground. But he does not show any sign of understanding. Yet when the beloved disciple follows him through, he sees everything and believes. After this, and after Jesus appears to them all in the upper room to give them the Holy Spirit, in chapter 21, Peter decides to go fishing recreationally and is accompanied by Thomas, the brother Zebedee, Zebedee, Nathaniel, and two other disciples, which include the beloved disciple. They were having no luck until Jesus appeared on the shore and told them to cast the net on the other side, at which point they had so many fish in the nets that they could not haul them in. None of them recognize Jesus until the fish are in the nets, and the first one to make the connection is the beloved disciple, who tells Peter, it is the Lord." He was so close to Jesus that all it took were small signs for him to recognize him and the present to recognize the presence of his savior that we all should be so tuned that would be amazing. The beloved disciple then was the gentle witness. He was placed in a position and relationship with Jesus where he could observe and report on the most important aspects of Jesus for us. The Brunt of Scholarship wants to argue that he was being too theological because of the depth of his, witness, of his writing, but I am more convinced that his letter is so deep because he was struggling to process everything he had been allowed to witness as the intimate friend of Christ. He wanted to do Jesus justice so that others could experience him in the same way that he had been able to, with the same depth and refinement of theological belief and insight and with the same level of brotherhood. Since Jesus conquered death, there was no reason why others could not engage in the same life changing experience. The beloved disciple is the only disciple to die of natural causes, causes in so far as we know. There is an exchange between Jesus and Peter at the end of John 21, where Jesus essentially prophesied that he would live a long time but telling Peter that it is none of his concern whether or not the beloved disciple remains until the Lord's return because Peter is to be following Jesus and no one else. This suggests that Peter may have been a tad jealous of the relationship between Jesus and the beloved disciple, but Jesus sets him straight by acknowledging that every, disciple, every disciple's faith and following is his own, and Jesus is to be the focus of all. Assuming the beloved disciple is responsible for the gospel, the three letters of John and Revelation, it could be argued that the closest he came to persecuted death was exile to the island of Patmos, where he received the vision of the Lord detailing the end times to come, making him the most prolific and longest lasting of all those to follow the physical Christ on earth. Thank you all for tuning in again. This was by far my favorite episode to record. Next week, we will talk about what this study of the disciples means for us, so please come back. Also, again, subscribe to the podcast, like the 10 Minute Church Facebook page, and follow the blog at 10minuteseminary.blog so that I can continue to bring you content for a long time to come. I love you all. Grace and peace.